picking up in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out all red, and all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Let's pray. Father God, today we do come to a, a big doctrine in your, your word. I recognize that many in this room will uh, not expect um, the, the conversation, the, the message to go the way that it will. Uh, but God, we want to learn all that you have for us in all of your word. We want to pick up on the, the, the streams and the, the threads in your, your scripture and, and take hold of those. And so Lord, I ask today for um, myself that you would just give me pastoral uh, love and, and balance and patience and um, just everything needed to teach uh, some of your hardest doctrines, to really just introduce some of your hardest doctrines, Lord. I ask for the hearts of the hearers, that uh, whatever their, their thoughts uh, may be, Lord, that you would give them a soft heart of humility that's ready to hear your word, that, God, they will not put their uh, uh, preconceptions about you and the way that you work in this world above what you reveal about yourself and the way that you work in this world. God, we know it takes supernatural humility to do that, and so we ask for it today. We ask for you to bless your word as it is preached, Lord. And I just pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. And we're picking up today in, in uh, verse 19, and we're going through verse 28. And what we're seeing here is really this uh, introduction of now Isaac's children, uh, Esau and Jacob. And there, there's so many uh, interesting things as I am reading through the Bible and just, you know, reading through Genesis over and over. Sometimes I'll listen to Genesis 
um, you know, while I'm driving around or, uh, you know, just doing work around the house, and I just keep picking up on things, and I keep having questions pop into my mind, and, you know, sometimes I get answers for those, sometimes I don't. Um, but, but one thing that I've noticed uh, as we've been going through Genesis up to this point is we've never really been given an answer of why. We've never been given an answer to why Noah, why Abraham, why uh, Jake, or why, why Isaac, um, and even under Noah, why Shem from Noah, because we have all these people that, that God, you know, gives them this amazing salvation, right? He uses them in this incredible plan of redemption that he's working out, uh, you know, from Genesis really to Revelation and and. But you have, I mean, just take Noah, for instance. You have this wicked, wicked, wicked world. Yet God chooses this one man, and, 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 you know, by extension, his family, that he will repopulate the world after he destroys it and everyone on it. I mean, that's crazy. But then, you know, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, and, but we know that Shem is the one through whom the promises continued. I mean, then, then we pick up with Abraham, right? He's just a man uh, living in a wicked city, Ur of the Chaldees. If you look at Jeremiah, it tells you that he and his family worshipped idols. But then all of a sudden in uh, Genesis 12, we see God just appear to him. And God tells him, leave your, your, your country, your, your kindred, and your father's house. And I'm going to do these amazing things for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, uh, to make a nation through you, and ultimately I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. That's, that's the plan of redemption. That's, that's the Savior coming through Abraham. And, and we just say, well, why Abraham? And, and I've been, you know, seeing that all through here, and I'm almost like wanting to see the Bible answer it, but it really hasn't been up to this point. And finally we come today to Jacob— we have these twins, we, and we have, you know, Esau and Jacob, yet Jacob will be the one that carries on the promise, that has this eternal salvation, but is also a part of God's plan of redemption. And I say, why Jacob? And the beautiful thing is, the Bible finally gives us answers. We'll see uh, from, from the text that Genesis itself will give us some very, very strong clues but then the whole of the Bible will make it very clear why Jacob. And the beauty of that, right, is if we know why Jacob, then we can know why his father Isaac. If we know why his father Isaac, we can know why Abraham. If we know why Abraham, we can know why Shem. We can know why Noah and on. We can know that. And what's even crazier is you look the other direction. If we know why uh, Noah, Abraham, I'm not going to go through them all again. If we know why all these people, uh, you know, were given this amazing blessing, brought into God's covenant, then we can know why we were brought into this covenant. And we are only going to scratch the surface today. I'm going to leave a lot, a lot, a lot of unanswered questions. Maybe uh, if this will be newer to you, there will be uh, maybe some discomfort to you um, because there this is way too big of a subject to hit in one week um, and so we won't we won't we won't hit it in one week we will continue uh, for, for following weeks um, but just today to, to show you what I'm talking about we're going to mainly be looking at verse 23 so we got uh, chapter 25 verse 23 
is this prophecy or promise uh, that God gives Rebecca. So up to this point, as we were reading through what, what uh, Brother Allen read a moment ago, we see that, that Isaac and Rebekah were barren, right? But then Isaac prays to the Lord, and Rebekah conceives. But then the, the children within her, you know, she's, or she, she just, you know, is pregnant, and she's like, wow, something crazy is going on in my stomach. You know, I imagine uh, being pregnant is weird in the first place. A living being is inside of you. Uh, you, you know, like this is crazy. And uh, anyways, just getting to experience that twice so far has been insane. Um, but she, there's twins inside of her, and she doesn't even know about it. And these twins are, are wrestling one another in the womb. And so she petitions God and says, hey, what's going on, God? Why, why, why do I feel so weird right now if you have given me this pregnancy? And we pick up. In verse 23, this is God's response to her. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And we, we learn, you know, several important things from what God says there uh, in, in verse 23. We learn for one number, uh, you know, just for, for the first, that they're having twins. She wouldn't have known that up to this point. She'd have just thought that she was maybe unusually large, or I don't know, like a 12-pound baby was maybe going to come out, because I imagine someone carrying twins is, is you know, going to have that. But here she finds out the reason you have this, this uh, wrestling going on in your womb is because, well, there are two nations and, and two peoples uh, within your womb. And then we also learn that these brothers will not have a peaceful relationship. So they're twin brothers, but they will not have a peaceful relationship. It says there, uh, what does it say? Um, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. They shall be divided. There will be this hostility between these two brothers, these two brothers who will become two nations. Two nations are in your womb. And uh, kind of the, the interesting thing is that has already started this hostility has already started in the womb. There's something to say there for sanctity of life, um, by the way. Anyway, uh, but that, that's not today's sermon. Uh, but there are these two nations in her womb. They will be divided, and that division has already started. That hostility has already started. But then the main thing we're going to focus on today is God says, The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The older of the two shall serve the younger. Now, some people might say, how do you have an older and a younger twin? They, they don't come out at the exact same time. So if, if that's new to you, uh, you still, they will usually mark one, you know, uh, put a bracelet on or something as it comes out. So that you know, this is the one that came out first. And, and uh, or in some people's case, uh, then second and third, you know, if that happens to be <laughs> your situation. Uh, but you have the older brother, the one that comes out first, will serve the younger and what, what I see when I read this passage, by the way, is I see this as a bona fide uh, uh, blessing from God. Uh, we don't really think blessings uh, in, in our day. We don't really give blessings. If we give a blessing, it's more like a, I hope things go well for you. But th that's not the way the Bible worked at, the, at this point. There are these blessings that were either directly from God, God saying, here's how things are going to go, 
for you people, or this person, or God would speak through people, right? Maybe through the Father, through a patriarch usually, uh, or just through, through others around them. God would speak these blessings. And so, uh, we, we've seen this so far with Adam and Eve. We saw it when they sinned in the garden. God comes, and he, he, it's actually sort of in the form of a curse. God's pronouncing the curse on, on Adam and Eve and all creation and on the serpent, but mixed in with Mixed within that uh, curse, there is this blessing that there will be one who, who tramples down the serpent, though his heel will be struck. struck. And we know that to be pointing, pointing to the Savior. Later, we saw this type of blessing slash curse thing go on with Noah and his sons after the flood. It's in Genesis chapter 9. We know that Ham is cursed here. Uh, but then uh, Japheth is blessed. And Shem is given this ultimate blessing from Noah. I mean, you could go back and read that in Genesis 9. There's this ultimate blessing, and you could look at those and see how that works through their life. And it ends up that Abraham comes through the line of Shem. That is no uh, coincidence that it had been a part of this blessing. Then we see God uh, pronounce blessings over Abraham many times uh, throughout the, these things. They're usually in the form of promises. Here is what I will do for you. Here is what will happen through you. There are these blessings. And we saw even Mel Melchizedek blessed Abraham in Genesis 14. In Genesis 24, we even have Rebekah's family. Uh, when, when, when she's brought out, Rebecca's family, uh, her brother Laban and her mother most likely, say this blessing on her that, again, you can look at it, and it's, it's a kind of odd blessing. Um, may, may you, uh, you know, trample others' gates, and, you know, it's, it's, this, it's like, where, where did that even come from? Well, it's an utterance from God. It's, it's one of these prophetic blessings. And this is just a major theme in the Bible, and that's what we see happening here in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. God is pronouncing this, this uh, sort of curse. The older, uh, the older shall ser serve the younger. That's a, a curse to the older, but that's a blessing to the younger. This is a, a blessing from God. But we need to remember the significance of the blessing in this context. Okay, again, this isn't, I hope things go well for you. This is a big deal. This is uh, a blessing directly from God to uh, one of the sons that is in this lineage of, of Abraham, this, this uh, chosen people, the, these uh, specific people. And so in this context, uh, th this type of blessing has always been that, that one, been toward one that God is going to bring into the covenant. This type of blessing is saying, hey, this younger one is going to be a part of my covenant. And I'm going to especially bless him. We've seen that over and over and over again when these uh, blessings are given. God is going to especially bless that person. And that through that person, God will continue to unfold his plan of redemption. Now, again, I'm explaining all of that, and that may uh, sound confusing, but... It kind of is, because we don't <laughs> do these things today. We don't, we don't think in terms of blessings. So I thought it would be helpful if I explained that to you, but this is what we see going on here. Is it will be Jacob. Get this. This is what's going on. In, this is what's said in, in verse 23. This is what's implied. Is Jacob, rather than Esau, will be brought into God's covenant. 
It will be Jacob rather than Esau that receives God's temporal and eternal blessings. And it is Jacob rather than Esau that God will continue his plan of redemption through. This is a big deal. This blessing is a a very big deal. And so, uh, by the way, I'll I'll tell you just as a spoiler to let you know where this is going, Jacob's name is changed uh, later in the Bible. It takes a while before we get there. But what's Jacob's name changed to? Israel. (laughs) His name is changed to Israel. He has sons, and they become the tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel. So God uh, makes this, you know, gives this blessing, and and it happens. God, God continues his plan through him. He gets these temporal and eternal blessings, and he's brought into this covenant. But none of that that I've just said to you answers the question of why, does it? None of that answered the question of why Jacob, or why anyone else for that matter. So I want to kind of just ask just maybe a couple questions that, that we might come up, to, uh, come up against to try to answer this, you know. Because when I, when I see this, I, I almost, my, my gut reaction is to say, well, there must have been something special about Jacob. You know, and there must have been special about, something special about Noah and Abraham and Isaac. You know, there must have been something special about them. There must have been something uh, about them that made them more worthy or more deserving of this covenant blessing. That's what I assume. That's my gut reaction. So is that true for Jacob? This is number one, by the way, if you're writing notes. I'll just give you the answer. Jacob was not a good candidate for blessing, for this covenant blessing. Jacob was not a good candidate. I'm going to drive this home to you. Um, This is going to take a moment for me to pull through with you, but we need to see this, that there was not something special about Jacob that made him a better candidate than Esau uh, for receiving this covenant blessing. I mean, again, this is, this is huge stuff. Temporal and eternal blessings being in the covenant. Uh, redemption worked out through them. And so there must be something. But then we look at Jacob's life and no. In fact, we'll see quite the opposite many times that he is not a good candidate. But at the very least, he's no better a candidate. Jacob was not a good candidate for covenant blessing. Let me give you five reasons. Uh, I'll try to be quick with these, but I I still want you to catch them. Uh, These five reasons he was not a good candidate, or at least he wasn't a better candidate than Esau. First, Jacob wasn't the firstborn, okay? Again, just very plain in the text. Jacob wasn't the firstborn. In fact, that's, you know, even part of the blessing. The older shall serve the younger. So it's the younger, the non-firstborn, who will end up with this blessing. This was, that might not sound all that crazy to you, uh, but in their day especially, I mean, this is still somewhat true in our day, but in their day especially, in the ancient Near East, this was incredibly significant culturally. So, you have to understand their families were a little different than ours. Um, Their families kind of would just grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in general. Like, uh, you know, sometimes people will joke about a few families moving into the neighborhood, and they're like, oh, the the berries are taking over the, the neighborhood. You know, that really is what they did in that day. 
they would just get bigger and bigger. They'd have children, then their children would marry wives, bring them into the family, then they would have children, and they would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so they would actually become more like little tribes than just family units in the way that we think of. Because when we think about a family, we think, you know, okay, the kids turn 18, they maybe go off to college, and then, you know, they land a job in another state, and then they're gone, and so they start starting another unit over here while we stay here. It, it wasn't that way for them. So families uh, were, were a big deal, and you had this patriarch leading the family. But there would come a time when that patriarch would know, okay, I'm going to be passing on soon. I, I'll probably die soon, and so I need uh, to, to pass on this responsibility. And so he would do that via the blessing. He would give a blessing. And, and in that culture, what that meant was the oldest son would be responsible to carry on uh, the family name, uh, to, to, to continue this family tribe. And so they'd be responsible, you know, for leading the family uh, functionally and, and economically and even spiritually. They would be responsible uh, for, for all of that leadership. And because of that, because of that, the firstborn would receive the greater blessing. And part of that greater blessing would, would not only be this blessing from God to, you know, equip them to lead and uh, ha have this responsibility, but it would also mean that they got a double portion of the inheritance. A double portion of the inheritance. Now, if we still did this in America— There'd be a lot of family disputes, and that may be your story. I actually hear about a lot of family disputes. Um, just as a pastor, people come to me, you know, for counsel. Hey, we have this dispute going on in my family because my parents died. They left their house behind, and me and, you know, brother and sister can't figure out what to do. And, you know, <laughs> so if we still had this, well, one of you gets a double uh, inheritance. Um, that would probably be a problem, but that's, that's what they did. Does that make sense? If there's two brothers— that means one brother would get two-thirds of all that the father had, while the other would only get one-third. So the, that one brother would have double um, what, what the younger brother would have. This was uh, what they did in their day. And you can read about this uh, in, in the Bible. Deuteronomy 21, 15 through seven, 17 uh, sort of has this as what's going on behind it. It says, uh, he shall acknowledge the firstborn, this is verse 17, he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, again, you have to read the whole passage, by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. So you see this right behind the firstborn. It was incredibly culturally significant for them. So you'd say, Okay, you have Esau's born, and then Jacob's born. Which one should receive this blessing? Which one should carry on this family legacy? Well, the obvious answer, the clear answer, the clear candidate would be Esau rather than Jacob. And yet, we see here, God says it will be the older that serves the younger. Jacob will carry it. But it wasn't because he was the firstborn. It wasn't because he was a good candidate. So that's our first reason here. Jacob was not the firstborn. That makes him a not good candidate for this blessing. I'll try to keep moving through these faster. I've only made it through one of the five. So second, Jacob wasn't born by any more legitimate parents. Okay, that, that may sound weird, um, but you, what you need to remember has happened here recently is Isaac wasn't the firstborn either, was he? You have Abraham— 
has uh, children, multiple children, and Isaac was not the firstborn, yet he is the one through whom the promise continued, this legacy continued. He's the one who became a part of the covenant, the eternal and temporal blessings, uh, redemption history is through Isaac. And the problem is one could make a case in that instance, well, maybe it's because Ishmael, the true firstborn son, was not of a legitimate uh, marriage. He, he wasn't born through Sarah, Abraham's first wife. She, the, Hagar is, is who Ishmael was through, and she was the uh, servant woman of Sarah that she gave. Um, and so you could say, okay, now maybe, maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's why Isaac is the one through whom the promise was carried, even though he wasn't the firstborn, because he was of a legitimate uh, birth. His parents were, were, were legitimate. And by the way, I wouldn't make that case. I would not say that that's why. I think God could completely use that uh, less legitimate or whatever you want to call it, birth. And in fact, he does other times in the Bible use uh, wrongful uh, <laughs> relationships and, and the births that happen from that powerfully in redemption history. So I don't even think that that's the reason. But I'm saying you could make a case for that if you wanted to, that maybe, 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 maybe Jacob had a legitimate birth, um, and Esau did not. Well, what's the problem with that? They had the same parents. They're twins. <laughs> it doesn't get any more equal than that. Did you know this is the very first time twins are even mentioned in the Bible? This is the very first time. Hmm, that's kind of interesting that, that you come to this unusual choice. The, the candidate that doesn't make sense all of a sudden, he's a twin. He's on completely level playing field with his brother. If anything, he's lower because he's the second born, not the first born, as we mentioned a moment ago. So it's not because he had a more legitimate birth uh, than Esau. Number three, or third, I guess. It is not because Isaac loved Jacob more than Esau. What's, what's the truth there? We know from verse... Uh, 28, it says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So so Jacob wasn't Isaac's favorite. Esau was. Again, in this day, this blessing, I can just give you two times that the father uh, pronounces the blessing to the non-firstborn uh, because of uh, his relationship with the son. You have that happen with Noah because Ham sins against uh, Noah by— anyway, it doesn't matter. Too much to get into. But Ham sins against him, so Shem and Japheth get the blessing, but Ham gets a curse uh, from their father. And then later we'll see that Jacob, the guy we're talking about now, um, doesn't give his firstborn the main blessing uh, because Reuben uh, sins against Jacob in a pretty powerful way. And so he doesn't give it to the firstborn. He gives it to Joseph and actually to Joseph's two sons. Um, Anyways, so sometimes the father could change who the blessing would go to. uh, But we see here, if anything, the father would make sure that it was Esau that would get the blessing. In fact, we will see in the very next chapter, chapter 26, that that, uh, Jacob does try to bless Esau rather than Jacob. He does. This is what he wants. It is the father's desire that uh, Esau get this blessing. Uh, yet God foils that plan, I guess you could say, in a, a weird way. But it, it wasn't because 
he was loved more. In fact, he was not the favored son. So that makes him even less of a good candidate for this blessing. Fourth, to try to keep moving on. Jacob was physically weaker and a less strong leader than Esau. I mean, we, we see this again in the text. Uh, it said there, the, the one shall be stronger than the other. That was in verse 23. The one shall be stronger than the other, yet the older shall serve the younger. Well, who was the stronger one? The one shall be stronger than the other, God says. Who is that talking about? Look at verse 27. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. I mean, it would maybe make sense if the younger, you know, became the leader of this family, this tribe, this legacy, this covenant. Uh, if he were the strong one, the assertive one, the wise one. But we actually see here that it is Esau that is the stronger man. He's a man's man. He's a skillful hunter, it says. A man of the field. And we'll see later that he's kind of loud and assertive the way uh, many leaders would be. While Jacob, on the other hand, was a quiet man dwelling in tents. That means he's a bit of a, re a recluse. He, he likes his solitude. He's a little bit shy. You know, he, he's not super outgoing. He doesn't get energy from interacting with other people. He's a quiet man dwelling in tents. And, you know, he didn't want to get dirty out hunting game. So he'd stay inside, you know, maybe just do some cooking. And I don't want to sound crass saying it, but from what we see in the text, he's a bit of a mama's boy. He is. He's, just, he's a bit of a mama's boy. Esau was a daddy's boy, and, and uh, we'll, we'll see that Jacob is, is a mama's boy. This is not leadership material. He's not a good candidate to be this leader. All right, that was fourth. But this final one, I, I think, is probably most important. Jacob did not have better character or faith than Esau. You might say, well, maybe he's just a better guy. He's uh, just a, a better, deeper, more spiritual man. Maybe he's uh, just will become this faithful man. If you just were read, read through this quickly, the, these following chapters, you would see that Jacob has one of the worst records in the Bible for deceit, swindling, and cheating people. Okay, he would deceive them, he'd swindle them, and he'd cheat them. And all of that shows what? Does that show a massive faith in God? God will provide. No, that shows you don't trust that God will provide. He's swindling people. He's lying to them. He's cheating uh, them to get, to get what he wants. So it shows he does not have deep faith. He has very weak faith. He doesn't believe God will provide, so he has to lie. In fact, this is such a big part of Jacob's life that that's what his name literally means. Jacob in Hebrew literally means heel grabber. We see that in verse 26. It says, Afterward, after Esau was born, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And so, again, since we don't know Hebrew, this is interesting, but it's the same word. Jacob means he, he holds, or heel grabber is what it literally means. It means he's a heel grabber. You say, okay, heel grabber. He was holding the heel of his brother when he came out, so they called him a heel grabber. Big deal. Well, this term, heel grabber, had a negative connotation to it. It would be the same way we have the, the term uh, a backstabber. 
That would be our parallel in English. He's a backstabber. No one would want to be called backstabber. Hey, backstabber, you know, like no one wants that uh, to, to characterize their life, to be known as that. And he was characterized as a heel grabber. Let me explain that to you a little bit. What this means is this is a person who will grab and wrestle in order to get what they want. It means that uh, when, if you're in competition with them, they will grab your heel and trip you up in order to be victorious over you. This is a, a cheater, a supplanter. Uh, the word is used other times in the Bible just to mean cheating. This, this Jacob, he's, he's a supplanter, he's a cheater. He gets things by wrestling rather than by faith. And you might say, well, I mean, he can't help what he was named. Jacob can't help what he was named, but we need to remember that in the Bible, again, we don't do this as much today, in the Bible, these names had a symbolic and a prophetic meaning. Let me just list some things for you real quick. He is not a good candidate because of his works or his uh, to faith or, or any kind of thing like that. Chapter 25, the next thing that we'll see is that he takes advantage of his hungry brother uh, for his birthright. He'll take advantage of his own brother, his own flesh and blood, twin brother. Verse 20, or chapter 27, he will deceive his father, literally wearing a costume. He will lie to his father. He will use the name of God and works of God in order to make his lie more believable. This is Jacob. This is the, the covenant man, the, the one that the, these promises come to, eternal and temporal blessing. In uh, chapter 28, he tries to bribe God to bless him. It's an interesting thing. He says, hey, if, if you'll provide for me in these ways, then I'll give you a tenth of all that I have. That ain't how it works, guys. <laughs> we do not bribe God with anything. I hate to tell you, he owns it all. Anyways, including your life. He owns it all, but uh, and we'll, we'll see later that, he, that God literally has to wrestle Jacob in order for um, him to learn who's boss. I mean, just that's not all, by the way. I just get, did a brief scan. Uh, it keeps on happening, keeps on happening when, when he goes to his um, Laban and just all these things. He has horrific uh, character. He really does. None of us would want to say, I'm a Jacob. You know, some of us maybe want to be a Daniel from the Bible or a Joseph. No one says, I want to be a Jacob. No one. You never hear that. Why? Because he was not a good candidate because of his character or his faith. It's not as though, you know, even from birth he had more of a leaning toward faith or anything like that. Jacob was not a good candidate for blessing. Now, you don't have to remember all five of those reasons. I just want you to know they're there, that there are the very good reasons why Jacob is, is a terrible candidate for this blessing, yet he still receives this covenant blessing from God. Why? We're still left with the why. We've eliminated some false thoughts. When you say, well, okay, so God made this prophecy, right? That's what we see in, in uh, verse 23 is this prophetic blessing slash curse, I guess, if you're Esau. Well, maybe, hear me out here, maybe God just foreknew that Jacob would, would eventually believe, that he would, you know, have this faith and that he would eventually start acting 
faithfully. Maybe God just foreknew that, you know, that he would become the one to, to trust God and become a part of this blessed covenant. Maybe God just foreknew that. God's all-knowing, right? So God can look down the corridors of history, and, and he can see ahead of time what's going to happen. Is that what's going on here? Now, I could get really fired up on this one. Um, Alan and I have a couple times we've talked about this, of how we have this thinking that, like, well, God foreknew, so he plans around what he foreknows. I was actually listening to a sermon, um, I guess it was this week or, or last week, I, l I like to listen to sermons on, on the passage that I'll preach. I'll have already studied it. I'll have already done my homework, but I like to see what other people have to say about it. Um, it's just helpful for me. And I was listening to one that, uh, here's what the guy basically said when he came up to this verse 23, the passage that we're, the verse we're most studying here. He said, now, I, I don't want you to get the idea that God is choosing Jacob over Esau. I don't want you to get the idea, this is what he said, this is not me. I don't want you to get the idea that, that he's choosing Jacob over Esau. This is simply God stating that he foreknows what will happen uh, in the life of these brothers. That, that's all that's going on here in verse 23 is, is that he foreknows what will happen. So this is a true, this is a common belief by people that God simply has this foreknowledge. And so he can give a prophetic, you know, voice because he knows what's going to happen. It'd be like if, you know... Uh, you had like a boxing match, you know, you, a boxing match was going to happen, you had it rigged. You knew that one guy was going to take a dive, and you could say, hey, I bet this guy's going to win. You'd know it, you know. Um, it, you know, you just have this foreknowledge, and that's how people feel, is that they can just look ahead, that, that God can just look ahead. But I want to show you today why that's wrong, Okay. That is, that is not true. What that pastor said is wrong. And by the way, I was out running while I was listening to this sermon at a public park with other people, and I'm yelling back to this guy. I said, read your Bible, man. You're preaching to people. Anyways, again, I can get fired up on this subject. Don't think that God is the one that, that was in control of this. He just simply foreknew that's what this guy is saying. But I want to tell you today, this is number two if you're writing stuff down, number two of our big points. God was not a good fortune teller. Jacob was not a good candidate, and God was not just a good fortune teller, like some guy that can just look into the future. That is not God. God is far bigger than that, okay? In the Bible, when God tells us what's going to happen in the future, we never see God as a passive bystander to those events, and God just sort of hoping or, or even just knowing what's going to happen. If you want to turn with me to Isaiah 46, I think this would be helpful. Isaiah 46, and we'll look at verse 8. I'll give you a moment to get there, because this, this stuff is, I mean, there's plenty of passages on this one. I just thought this one was helpful. Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 8, and you could read the whole passage and see it in context, that, that it, if anything, just uh, strengthens what I'm saying to you. This is kind of a, a judgment from God on Israel for their unbelief is actually the context this comes in. So Isaiah 46, verse 8, and we'll go to down to verse 11. God says, so this is God speaking, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, verse 10, 
declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. I'm going to pause there for a moment at that comma. Declaring, this is me, I'm God, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. At that point you could say, okay, God's just a good fortune teller. He just knows the future, he just foreknows, that's all. He, he, he's watching, he's looking at it like he's almost reading a book ahead of time. But then it goes on, so pick up at that comma. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things not done. Saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And then he gives a specific example in verse 11. Again, this is talking about uh, Israel and, and these other nations, this other nation. He says, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. What God's saying is, I'm going to bring someone from the east of Israel to come over and punish you guys, Israel, because of your transgressions. He says, I'm going to do that. I'm accomplishing my purpose. And then look at this. Look, look at what he continues to say there. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Can it get any more straightforward than that? Is God a bystander when he says, hey, someone is going to come from the east and, and take over you guys, Israel? You're going to be punished for your sins. You'll come back. You'll come back to the promised land, but you're going to be punished. And, and sorry, guys, that this is going to happen. It's out of my control, but I just foresee that it's going to happen. Is that, is that what we see in Isaiah? No, God says, I'm telling you that this is going to happen. I'm declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling, a, God's calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. God's the one that's bringing this person. He says, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. I will do it. God is, is not a bystander. God is not a fortune teller, or just a foreknower. God is a foredoer. He's a foreactor. He's the one purposing, counseling, making these things to where they will happen. This is really no different than, you don't have to turn to all these. I'm just going to list them. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He doesn't just foreknow it will happen. He does all that he pleases. If, if he didn't please him, it wouldn't happen, right? Uh, this is no different than it says in Psalm thirty-three, eleven: The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Uh, Proverbs nineteen twenty-one: Many are the plans of the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Do you get what I'm saying here? Never read the Bible and see a prophecy and think, well, God just foreknew what was going on to happen. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but God doesn't really have control over it. God, you know, uh, is just watching it. He's like he's watching a train wreck. He, he tells you, well, th this is going to happen. No. We see that God plans it according to his purpose, and God brings it about. Now, there is great mystery here. Again, I cannot get into... Uh, all of it today because many wicked wicked things happen in the world yet the bible tells us over and over again that god is good he is only good god does not sin he is not even tempted to sin 
but yet he is still over, reigning over these, these wicked things that will happen. He doesn't even tempt people to sin, the Bible says. James says that, chapter 1. There is great mystery here. But when God tells the future, such as the older shall serve the younger, it's not because he just foreknew something was going to happen. It's because he is foredoing it. He knows what's going to happen because he's going to bring about his own purpose. And so that leaves us really only with number three. If Jacob had nothing in and of himself that made him uh, more deserving of this, and if God isn't just a fortune teller, then it must be, number three, God chose Jacob for covenant blessing. God chose Jacob for covenant blessing. Jacob wasn't a good candidate. God isn't just foreseeing. Therefore, God must have chosen Jacob for this. And this is crazy. You know, that, that's really our only option that we have left. And I, I see that so far we've only looked at Genesis, and we've looked at a little bit from other passages in the Old Testament, which, by the way, you could find those same things in Genesis that God does all of the counsel of his will. We'll see that especially with Joseph when he says, God brought it to purpose. You, you guys didn't do this, brothers. It was God who brought me here. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's in Genesis. That's what I'm trying to show you is that these things are not some made-up doctrine later. But you might say, okay, Jeff, that's not 100% explicit. You're almost using, uh, you know, just, what is it, uh, an argument from silence. It wasn't because of Jacob. It, it's not just that God foreknew, and so you're inferring an answer from that, that therefore it must be God that chose. And I, I am doing that, and if you ask me, that's completely logical. But if that's not enough for you, here's what I want to do for you. I want to show you that God has explicitly told us in the New Testament what was going on here in Genesis 25. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. If this isn't enough, the evidence I've given you so far, you just need to see what God has to say about it. By the way, I have a lot of commentaries. I read a lot of commentaries. I've got, you know, uh, books. I've got electronic copies. Uh, again, I like to listen to sermons even. I like to uh, do all of that. But what I really like is when the Bible is a commentary on itself. And that's what we have here in Romans 9. We have a divine commentary. God, through the Apostle Paul, wrote a commentary on what happened here in Genesis 25. Now I'm going to pick up here Romans 9 at verse 6, uh, just for time's sake. Next week, by the way, I don't know for sure, but next week I plan on just going through Romans 9. as That will be the sermon next week, and we'll tie it back to this. Uh, that, that is my plan. So you'll see all of this in much greater detail, because it is powerful, and the, the evidence is so strong uh, for what I'm saying, that God chose Jacob. So we come to verse 6. It says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. I'll pause just for a moment. Uh, this is because there's this problem that these Israelites have mainly, largely, the majority of them have rejected Jesus, right? In Paul's day, the, the majority of, and still today, the majority of the Jews had rejected Jesus. And you say, well, that's interesting. They're, they're, they're offspring of Abraham. 
They're descendants of Abraham, yet they're not getting to take part in these covenant promises. They're not getting temporal and eternal blessings. They're not a part of God's plan of redemption. He says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is, for this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. That, that was from earlier in Genesis. That was God talking to Abraham. I'm pausing, sorry. Uh, just a side note. That was looking at uh, Abraham, and, and he's saying not all who are children of Abraham are his offspring. In fact, in his very next generation, it w- all of his children didn't become a part of the covenant promises, right? You had Ishmael come into being, but then God still said, even though Ishmael was, was born, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And that was the son of promise. That, that's his point here. God's, God's word hasn't failed. These promises to Abraham haven't failed uh, because we know that even in the first generation, it wasn't the firstborn that was chosen. It was uh, Isaac, and Ishmael ultimately rejected the covenant, went away from his father's house, lived in hostility over and against his kinsmen for all his days, and that's still going on. That was right after Abraham. That's Paul's point here. But yet, Isaac was the one that God said, he's going to come. He's going to be a part of the covenant. He is going to be the one that I bless in this way. Verse 10, this is going to be talking about what we're looking at today. And not only so, so not only with Isaac was this true, not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, that's Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. Do you, do you recognize that? That's a direct quote from Genesis 25, verse 23. And he says, now why did God say that to her? Why did God say the older will serve the younger? Well, it's right there in verse 11. They weren't yet born. They'd done nothing, either good or bad. But in order that God's purpose of election might continue. That word election, maybe your translation says choosing. The purpose of choosing might continue or might stand in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. Him who calls. This, this effectual calling to be his own. Because of that, she was told, the older will serve the younger. I mean, that, that again, I don't have as much time as I would like to here to go into this. But the reason, that the answer to our question, why Jacob is in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. And God is the one who calls. And because of that, we saw here in 20, Genesis 25-23, the older will serve the younger. God is making it very plain 
Look, it's not going to be about Jacob. It's not going to be because he's special. It's not going to be because he's smart or talented. It's not even going to be because he's so faithful. He's incredibly faithless as you read through Genesis. Not because of him will I do this, but because I'm choosing to. And I'm telling you, we're going to hammer this home next week, and it will make a lot more sense. But I just want to show you one thing while I have a moment with you. It says here, this election might continue, not because of works, but because of him. Uh, sorry, uh, it says not because of works, but because of. So think about it. You say, election is not by works, but by. What would you fill in the blank here? I heard a pastor uh, put it this way, and I thought it was helpful. Not by works, but by. Huh? Grace, that's good. But we have this ingrained in our minds from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, not by works, but by faith. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not by works. So we have this ingrained, but what this does not say is salvation. This says election. This election, and it doesn't say by faith. Look at this, that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of, and we might think faith goes there, but it doesn't. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It puts the responsibility, it puts the decisive weight on God as the one who chooses, elects, and calls that person to be a part of his covenant blessing, to be a part of his eternal and temporal blessing, and to be a part of his plan of redemption. These are things that we'll look at much more in depth next week, but it isn't even because of faith. We'll we'll get into this salvation is by faith election is by God's choosing and there's a difference there and we'll have to get there but what that means is Jacob did not deserve this at all he did not deserve to be a part of the covenant and what that means is remember we talked about this at the beginning if Jacob didn't deserve it at all then that must mean his father Isaac didn't deserve it at all And and if Isaac didn't deserve it all, then it must mean that Abraham didn't deserve it all, that they were specifically chosen only by the grace, only by the mercy of God. And if if that's true, then Shem, then that's true, then then Noah, and so on and so forth. All of these were, were chosen that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. God elects these people. God chooses these people. In their own unworthiness, in their own sin, they do not deserve it. It's not as though they were seeking for God. Again, we can look at this. Romans chapter 3 makes it very plain. No one seeks for God. That is, unless God has chosen them and put it into their heart to seek. And again, we'll get into all of this. It is a great mystery, bigger than my little brain, but it is true and it is biblical. It is there. And the, the, the interesting part about that is, okay, If that was true for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, if it's very plain right here in Genesis, then it's true for you too. If they were in the covenant only by God's grace, only by God's choosing, then you are only receiving God's covenant blessing by God's grace, by God's choosing. You say, well, I put my faith in God. I say, well, he chose you. Listen to, you turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. You should be close if you're in Romans. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll just go through this real fast. Verse 3. 
Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That, that's kind of this, sounds like a similar blessing, right? Jacob's getting a blessing. Isaac had a blessing. Abraham had a blessing. So God's done this. Blessed be God because, who has given us this blessing. It says, verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, not because of faith, not because of our works, not because of anything. It says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Summary statement is verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I will stop there. Look, if you have received this blessing, if you have received this inheritance, both some of that you're experiencing now and some of it you'll experience for eternity, you have received it not because of anything in you, not because of anything great in you, not because you had more of a leaning toward faith than the next guy, but because of him who chose you before the foundation of the world, who, who predestined you for adoption as sons according to the purpose of his will. Because why? Because he works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. That, that doesn't leave out anything. In fact, it is specifically talking about salvation. <laughs> so I, I could say it doesn't leave out anything, including uh, people and their salvation. But this is specifically talking about this, this election unto salvation. And again, we'll, we'll dig deeper in all of this, and it is a heavy topic. But your salvation depends on the election of God, just like it did for Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a sovereign choice of God. And let me tell you something, it is all of grace. Like Sonny said earlier, it's not, not by our works, it's of grace. It's all of grace. It's all of grace, a free, undeserved gift of God. It is all of grace. And again, we don't have time to, to dig much more, but I want to leave you just with a little bit of application here. So if you had nothing special about you that made you more worthy of salvation— by the way, what are you worthy of? Worthy of hell. <laughs> that is what you are worthy of. You are born a sinner against God. You have committed sins against the God of the universe. You are worthy of hell. Jeff, Pastor Jeff, is worthy only of hell in and of myself. That's all I've got. And so when we recognize that me, a person worthy only of hell— has been chosen unto salvation, this should give us an incredibly humbling effect. 
okay? It should humble us before God. Sometimes, I mean, I do it too. I do it too. I wag my finger at God and say, come on, God, why would you let that happen in my life? I deserve better. God, I'm a pastor. I'm trying to serve you. I was talking with some missionaries the other day that they've been uh, struggling, and, and I said, it's so interesting just guard against this because I had dealt with it myself many times. It's interesting in ministry how easily you can say, God, I deserve better. I'm trying to serve you. But that's a lie. That is a lie. It is not true. It is pride. And when we understand this, this doctrine of God choosing us, it will humble us before God. God, I only deserve hell, yet you have given me eternal life with you. There might be some perceived lack of blessing, but you can know, you can know in that moment that, that it wouldn't have been good for you, or that he's even working out his goodwill in you because of that hardship. You, you don't want to get what you deserve. You don't want to, and this, this should humble us when we recognize that God chose us unto salvation. This is, this is a beautiful thing. In addition, by the way, this should humble you before other people. It's, it's very easy to walk around and scoff at people who are living in their foolishness, living in their sin, and now they are completely responsible for those things. They are. They absolutely are, and we're not—well, we'll get there. They are completely responsible for their sins, but we look at them and say, huh, I would never do that. Oh, really? What if— the only reason you're not in that person's position is because God chose you and God called you and God predestined you and changed you. What if that's the only reason you're not in the exact same boat as them? And that's exactly what we see here in this, this doctrine of God choosing us. It should humble us before people. We should say, God, it is only by your grace that I'm not in that position. God, I want to pray for that person right now. God, that you would break in, that you would, that you would, you know, show your love to them, that your grace would be, they're, they're in this terrible place, but you know what? You changed my sinful heart miraculously when I didn't deserve it. You can do it to them. You can give them the ability to trust in your Savior, and you can actually in that moment say, you know what? I can tell them. I can even tell them about this salvation. This should spur on evangelism. God, you can change their heart. They, they don't deserve, or I don't deserve salvation any more than them, but you gave it to me, so I can go share it with them. This should humble us before God. It should humble us before other people. And here's the big one that I really want to give us. It should spur on. It should grow your worship of God. Please understand that no matter how small it may be, to whatever degree you believe you deserve your salvation, to that degree you do not worship God. If you say, okay, God has done 99%, but I've done 1%, then you are missing at least that 1%. And I would say it's uh, going to take a lot more than that from you. You're not worshiping him that amount because you say, well, I deserved it. I had faith I put in him. You're missing what happened before that faith. But conversely, when you understand your emptiness, your bankruptcy, and yet God chose you, God gives you this blessing, God gives you this inheritance, all of a sudden you are 100% free to worship Him and Him alone rather than give any of the worship and praise to yourself. I mean, it's interesting. Why did God do this? And we'll hit it again next work, 
Why did God do this? It says, um, in, I'm just looking back at Ephesians chapter 1, it says that he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. This doctrine is meant to spur on worship. It's meant to empty us of self and fill us with adoration for God. And that's why it's so important. Uh, this, is, this is an important doctrine to me. And, and again, it hasn't been explicit um, in Genesis until now. And then if it wasn't explicit enough there, Romans 9 gives us the commentary on what happened in Genesis 25. I hope this is plain for you. I hope this is helpful for you. I hope you don't have too many questions or too many troubles from this already in your head. But this is the truth. This is the, 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 the deep truths of God. This is not the cotton candy. Let's pray. Father God, again, I recognize this may be a hard doctrine for some of us. We may have some repulsion to this. And God, I, I pray for the people that, that have that repulsion, that you would just help them to see the truth. I'm not asking you to help them see my point of view. I'm asking you to help them see the truth. And God, for uh, myself and others, give us lots of love and patience and kindness towards those who may struggle with this doctrine, Lord. And God, I pray that as we continue even to study this and continue to ponder what we've learned today, that you would make us a humble, worshiping people as we see your sovereign grace in salvation. God, I pray that you would take away our sinful pride and replace it with humility. God, I pray that you would tear away the worship of ourselves, whether or not we realize it, the worship of our own works, our own achievements, our own faith, our own goodness. Tear away that worship of self, Lord, and replace it with, with a deep, earnest, heartfelt worship of you because we recognize we have none of those things apart from you. We have no good works. We have no achievements. We even have no faith apart from you. Lord, let us praise you. Let us worship you today that in our lowliest state, our helpless estate, our condemned estate, you loved us and you chose us. God, I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.